collecting patient signatures in the field? I never did. I'm sure you don't either. But it's one of those necessary evils, especially for the billing side of the equation. We're going to talk about everything patient signature today in this edition of the EMS Board and Collar Podcast. Hey, we're really glad you joined us. Thanks for downloading. Welcome to the QMC Board and Collar. News and thought-provoking discussion for today's emergency medical service professional. The Board and Collar Podcast series is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in emergency medical transportation revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, your host for today's Board and Collar podcast from QMC's business development team, Chuck Humphrey. In my 37 years of EMS field experience, I can boast a 100% patient signature success rate. Not. <laughs> it's a joke that we circulate between my EMS billing peers and me. I'd love to lay claim to such a statement, but alas, like probably most of you, I can't. So why is it important that we closely follow the rules surrounding collecting a patient's signature in the field? And what's the drill down when the patient isn't able or willing to sign? Let's break it all down. Why do we have to obtain a patient's signature? I'm often asked that. For most of us, the EMS agencies where we serve have developed SOPs and best practices to outright mandate EMS field personnel to obtain signatures. Much of that why is a direct tie to the Medicare rules. Simply stated, in the eyes of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, obtaining a patient's signature is a safeguard of the Medicare fraud and abuse initiatives. It's really the only way to confirm that an EMS transport, billable to Medicare and Medicaid, was completed. And that is to obtain the signature from the patient saying, yep, the ambulance service transported me. Without a patient's signature or a patient's representative signature, billing is pretty much prohibited for ambulance transportation to Medicare, and in almost all cases, Medicaid too, and that includes the managed care products. As such, in order to keep much-needed reimbursement dollars flowing, the responsibility for signature procurement trickles down to the people who interact with the patients. And that means you, the EMS field provider, you're the ones that see and touch and deal with these patients on a regular basis. So first and foremost, it should be the number one goal of all of us as EMS providers when considering the most appropriate time to procure the signature, of course, after the patient has been appropriately treated and a transport plan is in place, to obtain the actual signature from the patient himself or herself. The most effective signature is the patient signature, period. The only acceptable reason to not obtain a patient's signature is when you find the patient, and of course you're going to document as such, that the patient is physically and or mentally unable to sign. Now, determining if the patient is physically and or mentally able to sign will include a vetting process to include these simple questions. Ask yourself this, is the patient conscious, alert and oriented, and do they understand the permission statement I'm asking him or her to sign? Does the patient have the use of his or her dominant arm or hand in order to sign? 
Can my patient sign without risking interrupting important life-sustaining interventions? If the answer to any of the above questions is a no, then obviously the field provider will be unable to attain the patient's signature. Now what do you do? Well, when the patient's unable to sign, EMS personnel can then drill down to decide if it's possible or not to obtain a signature from someone who would represent the patient. Think of it like a football quarterback. He has his play in mind, but then if all the receivers are covered on a pass play, he's got to make secondary and maybe tertiary decisions. That's you guys. You're the quarterback in the field. So on your EMS run, when your patient is physically or mentally unable to sign, the rules allow for a person other than a patient to sign in the Medicare or Medicaid scenario. And quite frankly, for all signature scenarios. CMS, though, allows the person who is willing to sign on behalf of the patient to be defined using one of the following definitions. That signator can be a patient's legal guardian, it can be a relative or other person who receives Social Security or other governmental benefits on behalf of the patient. I, I laugh at that one because how are you going to know that in the field? You're really not. But then there are two other options. A relative or other person who arranges for the patient's treatment or exercise other responsibility for the patient's affairs. That's pretty wide open. So that's a good one and includes a lot of options. And then finally, you can use to sign a representative of an agency or institution that did not furnish the services for which payment is claimed, meaning the ambulance services in this case, but furnish other care or assistance to the patient. So this would be uh, someone at a skilled nursing facility or assisted living or um, somebody at a group home um, that has some kind of custodial or power of attorney or at least a care arrangement. The person signing on behalf of the patient agrees that he or she fits one of the above definitions that we just listed. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that person takes financial responsibility. Really, all it is is saying if my patient could sign, I reasonably believe that they would have signed. And it's also attesting to the fact, agreeing with the EMS personnel, that the patient was physically or mentally unable to sign. Okay, here's our drill down. So we didn't have a patient that could sign. Be great if we did, but we didn't. And then secondarily, now what happens if we can't find somebody to sign on behalf of the patient? Well, plan Z goes into effect. And that is when your patient is physically and or mentally unable to sign, and there is no other single person available or willing to sign as the patient's rep, then you leaving that signature area blank is just not an option. Don't do it. It gets us nowhere. In the billing world, that means a claim just sits there and waits, and that time is money. So luckily, there is a plan Z, and I'll call it the nuclear option for what it's worth, and it's a last-ditch final option to invoke the ambulance crew and the receiving facility combo. What do I mean by that? Well, a member of the transporting EMS crew can sign, attesting to the fact that the patient was physically and or mentally incapable of signing. And all of that goes back to your documentation in your run sheet as well. And then lays claim to the reality that there was no one person willing to sign on behalf of the patient. However, if you choose this option, just remember 
there's a second requirement to enable your billing office to submit a claim in order to collect reimbursement for the EMS incident. The second part includes one of two options. The best option is to obtain a signature from a facility, the receiving facility represented, located at the transport destination. That facility rep is basically agreeing with you in writing that the patient is, as you have indicated, physically and or mentally incapable of signing. If you're going to use Plan Z, this is the best co-requirement. There is also the ability for you or your partner to sign in that Section 3 area, and we all use similar verbiage, three sections of a signature form that mirrors the CMS requirements. So you or your partner sign and then obtain a written record with a time day stamp with the date and time you presented the patient to the receiving facility. In most cases, we refer to that as the hospital face sheet, which will then accompany the paperwork you file together with your signature, and that will allow that claim to be billed. Not future claims, but that claim. Now, I'm talking to you today in February of 2023, there is still a COVID public health emergency in place on the federal level. That's about to change. I mentioned it because there is one final loophole for signatures that's been in place since early 2020. And we call this the COVID loophole, which allowed for the EMS field provider to document a patient's verbal consent to which one of the transporting EMS crew members can then sign to attest to the verbal consent. This option was allowed for those scenarios where the crew on the call were assumed to be outfitted in full personal protection of equipment or PPE and not wish wishing to risk infection themselves nor contamination of their equipment, like contaminating your, your tablet, you know, pens, even Ta uh, uh, clipboards and paper or whatever the case may be. We didn't want anybody touching anything. So due to the patients exhibiting COVID-19 symptoms or presenting with a positive COVID-19 test result, the COVID-19 loophole allows for that verbal consent. But I'll caution you, it's February 2023, as I mentioned. The loophole is only allowed during the PHE, which expires, we have just learned from the White House, will expire on May 11th, 2023. On that date and thereafter, the verbal consent option will expire and can no longer be used in lieu of an actual signature. Now let's cover one more point, and that is if your patient flat out refuses the sign, make sure you document that. Don't just leave the signature area blank, because if you're documenting that your patient refused, documenting that on your signature form and in your narrative, then your billing office has different pathways in the billing process that will allow them to bill the patient direct and request the signature, hopefully uh, at some other point. Of course, all of this, again, implies that your EMS agency is using patient signature disclaimer verbiage that fits the CMS rules and regs, and that pertains to patient signature procurement. Today is the day to review that verbiage on paper, digitally or both, to ensure that those signatures are attached to the correct 
permission and assignment statements. Folks, signatures are important. The difference between getting a claim paid or not getting a claim paid many times rests on whether or not a patient signature or a representative signature has been obtained in the field. And with that, we're finished with today's discussion. Thanks for uh, coming along. Uh, remember to uh, take a look at our other 180 or so uh, EMS Board and Collar podcasts. They're out there for your uh, listening pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed your time together with us, with us today. And we welcome always your input. And thank you for your time. And remember, be safe out there.